You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Russell takes the snap, steps up in the pocket, looks, has time. Now he's going to throw. Tyler Lockett looks for the ball. He's got it. Touchdown, Seahawks! Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. The handoff inside to Carson, starts up the middle, now bounces it across the line. He's in. Touchdown, Seahawks! Powered by Seahawks.com. Welcome to the Seahawks Insider Podcast. I'm Jen Mueller, sideline reporter for the Seattle Seahawks, alongside John Boyle from Seahawks.com. Hello, John. Hi, Jen. How are you? I'm a little salty this week. Sorry about that. Yeah, I'm a little salty. I did not like the way that World Series finished up. I'm not the only one who's salty, though. See how quickly I'm moving past Mm -hmm. that? Bruce Arians sounds a little salty this week, too. So I I would say I'm in good company, but I don't even think that that's the correct thing to say. Yeah, I don't know that that's the best company. I don't know. I well, mean, they're two and five. I don't know if you want to be in that company. That's right true. Now. That's true. Really, that's I'm just looking salty. for somebody to, you know, someone to who commiserate. Feels with. my pain, right? To commiserate, right? Misery loves company on that one. We will for, get to Bruce Arians. Should we tell people in, who don't know that you're from the Houston? area? I am area, from so the Houston area. We, yes. If, if they're confused, why you're salty yes, about that? We, I we guess the family that. still lives there. Yes, I am a little salty. Over the Astros. I am feeling much better about the Seattle Seahawks, however, with a 6-2 and two record. They do face the Tampa Bay Bucks this week. We'll talk about the Bucks and those specific matchups in just a few minutes. But, John, there are some people in Seattle who are salty over the 6-2 and two record of the Seahawks, and I cannot quite figure out why. Yeah, I mean, I understand that there are things that this team needs to fix. They're not a finished product by any means. Their defense has had some issues, yada, yada, yada. But they're 6-2, and two. and this is a team that under Pete Carroll finishes better than it starts. Their November-December record is much better than their first half of the season record. So there's a lot to like, even though, again, they need to clean up some things. They want to get the pass rush going. But, yeah, I mean, if you can get through the midway point of a season feeling like you're not playing that great with a 6-2 and two record, there's, there's a lot of room to go up. I would like to say that you yada yadded over the best part, except that I don't think you actually did. I think you covered up some of the stuff that the Seahawks have had trouble with. And when you take a look at the second half versus the first half opponents, the combined record of the first half opponents, 26, 34, and 1. It does get tougher from here on out. Second half opponents have put together winning records. They are 31, 21, and 1. But what do we know about the Seahawks at the halfway point? Because you're handing out some grades here for for best, worst, and what we should be looking out for. I think we know that it's a really legit offense. They're starting to run the ball the way they want. Chris Carson's on pace for 1,200 yards right now. Wilson is playing the best he's ever been. Tyler Lockett's been awesome. So I feel really good about the offense. I think the defense has the question marks. They've they've done some really good things in streaks. A lot of the points they've given up have been tough situations of short fields with some of those early season turnovers things like that, but they've given up too many yards. The pass rush isn't where they want it to be. You know, I think it's, what, three sacks in their last four games or five games or what four, I think. But it's so that's, to me, the biggest. If you get the pass rush going, I think that's going to fix a lot of things going on in that defense. But overall, again, you know, knowing that there's room for improvement, I like where this team's sitting. On the offensive side of the ball, Russell Wilson continues to be outstanding is there a particular number that you keep looking at every week that just makes you go, wow? I mean, really, to me, it's got to just be the touchdowns to interception ratio. And, yeah, he threw the one bad pick against Baltimore. But 17 touchdowns, one interception. He's run for three more. It's just what he's doing, he's always been a great quarterback. But what he's doing this year is just 
taking it to another level. The offensive line has been pretty good in front of him. Russ has been sacked just 19 times. That is dramatically different than last year. He's been sacked the second lowest percentage of his dropbacks in his career. Of course, the Seahawks are going to have to continue, though, without center Justin Britt. That's a tough one. Joey Hunt took over on the first drive last week, and Pete Carroll says they're going to roll with the guy out of TCU. I'm, I'm not concerned about him at all. Joey's been with us for a long time, you know, and he's, he's been in games for us over the years. He started a few games. He, he has done as well as a, somebody could do in this role of being a backup guy to, to, to give us the confidence that he can handle it. Um, we've just seen him play so consistently in practice and in the work that he's done. He's never backed off, but, you know, re reassuring us that he's ready to go. And uh, he's a really good technician. He's really strong underneath. Uh, he's got great leverage as he plays, and, and he knows how to play the position. And uh, he's, it's his time, you know, for him, and, and I'm not worried about it one bit. He happens, it wouldn't matter who is playing center with uh, with uh, Vita Vey over there on the other side. He's, he's a remarkable player, and uh, we have, we'll give him a lot of respect. This is a tough test for Joey Hunt. Vita Vea is a beast in there. Husky fans all remember that. But it is, you know, this is a guy they have a ton of confidence in. Last year, Britt got hurt. Joey Hunt started the, uh, what was it, the Cowboys game. Uh, that was one of their good, really good wins, you know, against a playoff team last year. So, you know, it's it's terrible to lose any of your starters, especially that center. He controls so much with the protections and all those things. But they they have a lot of confidence in Joey Hunt and just his ability to step in and not just, you know, be a physically good player, but do things right, make sure the calls are right, get everybody else on the right page. Yeah, because it's not just Vita Vea that he's going to have to deal with. Remember, and Sue is That's on right. that defensive line as well. And in 21 games, or excuse me, in his games against Seattle, 21 tackles, four of those tackles for loss, two and a half sacks. The Seahawks know what Sue can do. The Seahawks would like to see what Ed Dixon can do with this offense. He is practicing with the team, and Pete Carroll knows that the veteran could give him a little support where they need it. Well, he's an, he's an all-around ball player. He can play Y and can play the F position. Um, he's, he's good down the field. Uh, he blocks well. Uh, he's played a lot of football, so he's really well-versed at all the little tricks and things that the guys have to do at that position. Um, so he brings experience. He brings playmaking, um, and, and he can play YNF. You know, he's got a lot of versatility to him. So we're very fortunate to have him at this time jumping out. You know, as we lost Will a couple weeks back, you know, there was a little void in there. But if, if uh, Eddie can jump back and help us out, that would really be something that we can uh, move with. I like that we get the question cutting in at the end there, but... Uh... Anyway, yeah, it's, you know, Pete Carroll did say if he can jump in. I think it's important to kind of caution fans right now that they shouldn't expect that he's for sure playing and going to be right in there because he's been working really hard to get back, but he has not actually been on the practice field until yesterday. So we'll see if Dixon's back, but whenever it is, it adds a nice element. I mean, unfortunately, they don't have Will Disley. Obviously, that's a huge loss, but Dixon is kind of that more complete traditional tight end that they don't really have right now. I mean, Luke Wilson is made himself a much better blocker than he was to start his career, but he's still, that's not his strong suit necessarily, and Jacob Hollister's more of a pass catcher. The good news is Dwayne Brown getting back freed up George Fant to kind of go back to that role of the big blocking tight end. But, yeah, when, whenever they get Dixon back, that'll be a boost. And we saw it last year. He For being a guy who was new to this offense, he did a good job stepping in midseason and picking things up right away. So, you know, he'll have that extra experience under his belt, so hopefully he can get back soon. You know, it's so funny. We don't talk about tight ends in the system very much. But if you think back to training camp 
and we were trying to figure out who your top receivers were going to be or the biggest receiving threats, right? You talked about Tyler Lockett. You were hoping that DK Metcalf was going to be in the mix. And then everybody said, don't worry about it because Will Disley's out there. And when Will's not there, you forget again the tight end, it, it plays a very more than just a functional role in this offense, especially when you look at the Seahawks in the second half of the last couple of games where drives have stalled out. They have not been able to convert on third downs, and those points have dwindled as the game goes on. Yeah, I mean, that's a good tight end. You hear, it's kind of cliche you hear it all the time, but they can kind of be a quarterback's best friend because they – get a lot of those favorable matchups with a linebacker. They can get to spots that beat zone coverage. I mean, there's a, a good, versatile tight end can do a lot of things for you in the passing game, and Will Disley was proving to be just that. You know, he, I think, was their second leading receiver in terms of yards, and he had four touchdowns before he got hurt. So, yeah, that was that was a big loss, and hopefully Ed Dixon can, you know, he's not necessarily going to be Will Disley, but hopefully he can fill the void a little bit. How long ago does it seem like Chris Carson had those troubles holding on to the ball? Yeah. I mean, it, 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 I remember after probably the second or third fumble, you started to get, like, every time you had the ball, you worried a little bit. You know, you thought, oh, boy, you know, covered up. And I haven't even thought about that in the last few weeks. It's, he's back to being Chris Carson. Like I said earlier, he's, you know, he's over 600 yards midway through the year. That's That puts him on pace for a great season. It does. It puts him on pace for over a thousand yards. But I'm curious as to what happens because the Bucks have one of the best rushing defenses in the league. They allow under 69 yards per game and less than three yards a carry. Yeah. I mean, that. And now, granted, teams are throwing the ball all over them. But still, I'll be curious to see what Chris Carson can do against that defense and what happens. Yeah, I'd be curious to see how the Seahawks game plan it too. Is this one of those where you? try to establish a run and see how it goes, or you just sort of come out firing because you know their pass defense. I, I think we all know they're going to want to run the ball. But if that pass defense is vulnerable and the numbers against it show that it is pretty vulnerable to some big numbers, then, yeah, maybe this is a game you know you try to get Chris going, but you, you don't be stubborn about it. Well, and this is a game that when we look at the defensive side of matchups, you're so glad that Marquise Blair has kind of been thrown into the fire before he was needed because a roster move this week means that he steps into that starting role full-time. In case you missed it, Tedrick Thompson to IR. He will have surgery to repair a torn labrum in his shoulder. That opens the door for the rookie. And the good news for Pete Carroll and this defensive coaching staff is there is tremendous upside. Yeah, I think it's all upside. You know, I think everything's out in front of him. He's, he's shown running and hitting like we love. Um, very instinctive football player, very tough. Um, he's, he's, you know, every game is a good experience for him to grow, and, and he's going to just continue to get better and more confident. And, and he already plays with a lot of confidence in the, the, the way he attacks the football and attacks his, his plays to be made. Um, but he'll just get better over time. Yeah, I mean, it, they've been very impressed with what they've seen out of him so far. At, as you'd expect from a rookie safety, it's not going to be perfect. We've seen a couple plays where he's maybe a little over-aggressive on an angle and misses a tackle, but we've also seen 11 tackles last week and a really important forced fumble that helps secure a win. So he's shown the playmaking ability. He's a big hitter. They they really like him. And, you know, we've heard the last two Mondays from Pete Carroll – him come out and say, you know, he, he's played well, he deserves to play some more. So I think we would have seen him on the field regardless this coming week. But how that would have looked, if everyone's healthy, I'm not sure. But you're right, now with Tedrick out, 
he's a starter, and we'll see what happens down the road whenever Diggs is ready and when Lano Hill gets back. But right now it's pretty clear that it's Blair and McDougal playing together. And it's not just his physicality. I mean, when you watch that game on Sunday, he was making plays near the line of scrimmage because he had diagnosed the plays. And Ken Norton this week said, yeah, you're, you're really watching how he studies the game and then puts it into practice. And you got to remember that everything he does, it's the first time for everything. And yet, I know Dave Wyman during our broadcast made a small comparison to Earl Thomas, not to put pressure on him. But I agreed, and I asked Jack Griffin after the game, are there any similarities? And he said, yeah, I can see that. There's one big difference, though. If you asked both of them, which would you rather have, the interception or the big hit? Earl's going to say, I want the interception, and Blair's going to say, I want the big hit. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the mentality he plays with, and the Seahawks love having that kind of hammer back there. That is a good comparison, again, not to say that Marquise Blair is Earl Thomas. We're talking about probably a Hall of Fame player, and that's not a fair comparison to put on a rookie. But we haven't seen a lot of safeties play as rookies other than Earl. It's a tough, demanding position in this defense, and even Earl Thomas almost got benched as a rookie because he was making too many mistakes Pete Carroll didn't like. Pete Carroll had to sit him down and say, look, get this right or you're sitting down. Blair didn't get thrown in the starting lineup right away, obviously, but they've kind of eased him in, and now he's a starter midway through the year. And it's, you know, as it was with Earl in 2010, you're going to live with some mistakes because the playmaking ability is really high. And for all the positivity around Blair, look, there really is a concern about minimizing those passing yards. Last week, you had a team that was able to rack up 512 total yards of offense, over 460 passing yards. And Pete Carroll says, look, we got to get those numbers down a little. No, no, we don't want to give up anything. We don't give up anything. But sometimes that's what happens, you know. We were in a, uh, two quarters of a two-minute drill, basically. And so that happens sometimes. I wish we would have got off the field on some third downs to get out of there and, and not give them the opportunity to stay out. But um, no, so we're not comfortable with it at all. And yeah, Pete Carroll, they're going to give up some yards in certain situations. I think the Cincinnati game was a good example. They didn't know the opponent. It was a new coach. They played a pretty conservative, keep it in front of them approach. And if you do it the right way and they're not giving up explosive plays or making teams work really hard to get down the field, you play good in the red zone, they'll live with that. It's maybe not their favorite thing to do, but, you know, as Pete Carroll kind of calls it, rope-a-dope. We've seen him do that over the years, and he's okay with it that way. But the difference this past week is they were giving up too many of the big plays. And that's what will really make Pete Carroll upset is when you're giving up those big explosives. I would like to point out that 512 yards allowed, that was the most allowed by the Seahawks defense this season. But it is the fourth time that a team has put up more than 400 yards against this defense, and the Seahawks have won every single one of those games, which is certainly not what they're going for, but speaks to your point of, look, we're willing to let some of this go if in the end the result is there. I would point out, though, that Bobby Wagner has preached consistency from the defense the last couple of weeks, and I do think the defensive captain is starting to get just fed up, might be slightly strong, but he's getting to the breaking point on that. Yeah, I mean, he's said that, you know, this defense isn't where it should be and they're not living up to their expectations yet. You know, I think he looks around him and sees enough talent that, and they've done it in spurts where I think it's like, okay, now we just need to be this team that can do that can shut out a good Atlanta offense for a half, for example, and be that team and not the team that gives up the big yards. So, again, going back to our original conversation about kind of the midway point of the season, I think 
the kind of the direction this team could go in a lot of ways will be how much does this defense improve. I think as they stand now, obviously a six and two record shows they're a good team. I, I think they're a playoff team right now if they just kind of play the same way all year. But I think they could be, you know, a truly elite Super Bowl or contender if they can get that defense going. And how much of it is truly wanting to be the best, which sounds so cliche, but Bobby pointed it out. And again, when you hear him talk about that 2012, that 2013 team and what made them different, I just thought it was interesting that in some ways it came down to mentality, not physical skills. I think there's definitely an element of that. I mean, that group that group was so unique, though, because of kind of the way so many of them came up together. And sure. it was these young guys kind of developing. To me, one of the issues that – one of the differences that's also one of the issues is there's a lot of new and changing parts in this defense. We've seen, you know, Clowney and Ansa, yes, they've been on the team all year, but neither of those guys had training camp. In the case of Ziggy Ansa, he was still recovering from an injury, so they're not really all the way where they... Clowney's been great, but I think he's going to get better. I don't think Ziggy Ansa's been where he wants to be yet. They're just getting Jaron Reed back. You've had a lot of changing parts in the secondary because of injuries. If if things can settle down with Marquise Blair kind of... Stay in the starting role and 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 the cornerbacks stay healthy. I think that secondary is going to be a lot better too. So yeah, I think this defense again. I think the potential is there for it to take a big jump in the second half, but it's just finding that consistency. Yeah, you mentioned Clowney. He has definitely been disruptive. Coming off of one of his most disruptive games, we might just be looking at the wrong stat if we keep. Yeah, looking at I mean sacks. the sacks aren't where you know that's the obvious defensive end stat we all look at. But when we look at the tackles for loss. The, you know, the, some of the advanced stats on the pass rush win rate, the pressure rates. He's a, he's among the best in the league at all that stuff. So hopefully they just start getting home and getting some of those sacks and hits on the quarterback. Well, and you wonder how much Jameis Winston is going to be dropping back because he does have two of the best receivers in the league. When you've got Mike Evans and Chris Godwin there, they have posted huge games. I mean, those three have combined to have three games of over 170 yards. That's unbelievable. Pete Carroll knows what kind of a challenge this will be. Yeah, they're, they're just loaded with talent. And uh, Chris is their leading receiver, but Mike Evans is, is the star that we've watched for years. And if you just watched the last game, you know, Mike was all over the place making plays and, and lightening up and, and all, a lot of tough catches and difficult situations. You can see the confidence that, uh, that James has in, in, in those guys to throw the ball when they're in trouble and in traffic and they, you know, give them a chance to make a play. It makes those guys really dangerous, and and uh, and they've got other guys too. They got other guys that can fly. So this is a pretty classic group for for Bruce to have. You know, where he's got his receivers that are really stellar, and and uh, it's a difficult offense to deal with. Here's one of the other things that Bobby and a couple of the veterans have said who have faced a Bruce Arians-led team before. It is the way that he runs the offense. It is the same look, or it's the same play with different looks, and he is testing your ability to be disciplined. They are looking for the guy who gets impatient and wants to start jumping and doing things that they're not supposed to. When you have receivers who are capable of doing what that duo is capable of and you have Bruce Arians, I'm very curious to see how this plays out on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it with the Cardinals teams. Those Bruce Arians offenses are tough, and as you said, they'll they'll kind of take their time and test you, and then they'll – they're not afraid to chuck it downfield and test your secondary. So it's going to be a really, really good test for that for all those defensive backs. And, again, going back to the pass rush, this would be a great game to get that pass rush going, put some pressure on them, maybe force some turnovers. That's 
been one of the weaknesses of this Bucks offense. They turned the ball over 11 times in the last two games. So there should be opportunity there, but there's also big plays you got to watch out for. Well, and Jameis Winston is tied for the most interceptions thrown. He has lost three fumbles, which means that he leads the league in turnovers. His career touchdown-to-interception ratio, 102 TDs to 70 interceptions. Let's put that in perspective when we look at Russell's numbers, who has thrown 213 touchdowns, just 64 interceptions. There is definitely a chance for the defense to make some plays. Yeah, I mean, that's Jameis Winston can do some amazing things. He's got a crazy arm, but that's kind of been the one knock on him in his career is he can be a little careless with the ball. And if you're the Seahawks defense, you're playing at home, you, that's something you got to really count on this week of helping you win this game is win the turnover battle. All right. Well, when we talk about Seahawks winning the game, what do we need to see? We are at the final minutes of our Seahawks Insider podcast. John, you go first. Well, we'll stay with that topic we were just on. I want to see at least two takeaways from the defense. You know, I'll be greedy and say four, but let's just say two minimum because I think Russ will take care of the ball and you can win with plus two pretty easy. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to say I don't know if I want to put put it on the running game because we talked about the Bucks being so good. So let's say 280 passing yards for Russ. Okay. That would be something. Preferably an efficient 280. Well, the Bucks defense is allowing 285. Well, so you you're so right on, right you're about right that on target average. with that. I'm going to go uh, completely different. Here's the thing. The Seahawks have not been able to put points on the board in the second half of games the same rate that they have been putting them on the board in the first half. I would like to see more consistent scoring, right? I, I don't need to see a whole bunch of points, but – Let's not have those drives stall out in the second half. I don't know if you realize this. Atlanta did not have a single three and out last week. The Seahawks, meanwhile, struggled with that in the second half. Let's keep those drives going. And let's score at least, I'm going to say, 14 second half points, which is something that has not happened in the last couple of weeks. And here's the other thing I need to see. A really good, frustrated quote from Bruce Arians after the like loss. I like it. That's what I'm going for. You want a, you want a salty Bruce Arians? I'd like a salty Bruce Arians. Salty as you are this morning. <laughs> That's exactly right. So those are our predictions. That's what we need to see. And, of course, we need to see you back here next week for another edition of the Seahawks Insider Podcast.